right, welcome everyone to the Cal Chiefs podcast. Today I have a good friend of mine and a special guest, Mike McClyman. And um, we're going to be talking uh, today about recruitment and what Rancho Cucamonga Fire District is doing a little bit different. And I think what they've been doing different for quite some time. So wanted to uh, welcome uh, Chief McClyman from Rancho Cucamonga Fire. How you doing, Mike? I'm good. How are you doing, Ray? I'm hanging in there, hanging in there. Obviously, we're we're next door neighbor chiefs. We uh, just so you don't if if uh, you don't know where Ontario and Rancho is, we're literally right next door to each other. We've we've known each other for years, and I just wanted to have Mike on today because um, they've been doing a lot of great things with recruitment at uh, Ranch Cougamonga Fire District for a long time, and I want to dive into that. But before we do that. What I always like to do with the guests, just to give everyone a little perspective, is, um, you know, ask Chief McClyman how he got into the fire service, what made him interested in the fire service, and kind of what brought him into what we do today, and walk us through his career a little bit, all the way up to the point of when he became the fire chief. <laughs> all right, so um, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, this is awesome, and like you said, I really appreciate our relationship and our friendship has really grown over the years. So I admire you and what you've done in Ontario. So I wanted to start with that. Oh, thank you. I appreciate um, it. Next. Yeah. So my history is interesting. One, I never planned on going in the fire service. It was never a thought. Um, I had really no idea. After high school, I moved down with my buddy, Jeff Boyles, who uh, is the fire chief of Newport Beach. So Jeff and I graduated from Fontana High School. I grew up in LA, moved out to Fontana, my uh, junior year of high school, where I met my now wife. Uh, also met Jeff. After high school, Jeff says, hey, let's uh, cruise down to Newport Beach. My family has a condo there. We can rent the condo. So we rented the condo. Jeff, shortly after that, gets hired by San Bernardino County Fire. Um, his dad was in the fire service. And I remember uh, early on, gosh, early 90s, this had to be 93-ish, maybe 94 going over to Station 71 in Fontana. And one of the first uh, pe first people that I met was uh, Nick Stepanian. So Nick was brand new at the county. And I remember sitting at the kitchen table at Station 71 as I'm going to UCR at the time. And uh, Nick says, dude, what are you doing? I go, well, I, I'm going to go and I want to be go to medical school. I didn't want to be a doctor. He goes, why do you want to do that? I go, I don't know. I just thought it'd be like a cool thing to do. I, none of my family are doctors. I'm the first one to graduate from high school in my family, let alone go to college. So um, Nick's like, you should be a fireman. I go, eh, I never really thought about it. Well, long story short, um, my, both my parents had passed away and my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, started raising my little brother. And he was like 10 and I needed a job. So I couldn't be at UCR and not work. So Boyle says, hey, why don't you go to EMT school, work on an ambulance? I'm like, oh, that sounds cool. So I go to EMT school. And in 95, I start working at AMR. And as I'm working at AMR, I'm looking over and I'm looking at my medic partner going, that actually seems kind of cool. They make more money. Maybe I should do that. So I tell Becky, hey, I'm going to go to paramedic school. And I go to paramedic school at Mount Sac and become a paramedic. I do my internship at Rancho Cucamonga Station 171. And as uh, soon as I did that, I was hooked. And listening to Yuri back in early 90s and Jeff, I probably should have done it sooner, and I get hired uh, by AMR as a medic, and shortly thereafter, I get hired uh, in the late 90s by the county fire department and start working for the county as a firefighter paramedic. My first assignment was in Yucca Valley, 
and um, <clears throat> I got stationed different places and uh, took a test in Rancho because I knew that's where I wanted to be. And in 2002, I ended up getting hired in Rancho Cucamonga as a firefighter medic, and that's what kind of started it. So, uh, yeah, that's a little bit how I got into it. Yeah, it's funny. We've known each other for quite some time, Mike, and obviously we're, um, we've grown as friends and um, over the last couple of years for sure. And it's, it's interesting to me when, you know, I always ask that question because I always learn something about uh, my friends in the fire service that I didn't know. <laughs> so um, I didn't know, I knew you had a connection with Nick, but I didn't really realize where it came from. So that's pretty cool that you guys have that connection and uh, with Chief Boyles over at uh, in Newport Beach as well, that's pretty cool. I knew I knew you had because uh, I saw him at your 50th birthday. Yeah, uh, he was there, and um, that's pretty cool. And then I, you also had uh, done a lot of time as the union president in Rancho. How long yeah. did you do that for? So I got on the executive board I, because I'd already worked for the county um, when I was on probation. One of uh, the members of the e board. Uh, had asked me if I was interested in doing any executive board stuff. And I was like, yeah, that I'd love to do that. I was so grateful to get, to get hired in, you know, in Rancho, actually just grateful to be a firefighter. I, I never, you know, we struggled early on. I didn't grow up with much money. And um, so when I got hired in the fire service, it changed my life. It like truly changed my life. And I, to this day, I'm forever grateful for that. Um, so I felt like, well, how do I give back? And, you know, Rancho, just like Ontario, there's a lot of programs you can get into, but for me, the, the union seemed to really interest me. I felt like it was an opportunity for me to just, how could I help make the organization better? How can I help, you know, better people's lives and, um, just try to make things as good as possible. So I got on the executive board in 03, um, Geez, I knew so many of the Ontario guys. Uh, Cordell McDonald, I remember, was, uh, I think he was union president at the time when I first got on. And just listening to him and Chris Hughes and and learning a lot as much as I can from, from your guys. There was a lot of stuff that we did together, like you said, Ontario and Rancho. Um, back then, it probably wasn't um, anywhere near as it is now. But it was still awesome to go and, and get to learn from those guys and learn from the guys that I was able to. So Sam Spagnola was the union president here in Rancho. And Sammy ended up um, retiring about a year after I got on the board and running for city council. So I never was in, like interested in politics. I don't know where it came from. But when Sammy ran for city council, uh, I helped run his campaign. And that was interesting to me. And I, I liked it. And I kind of felt like I had a knack for it. So that's what really jump-started me into really the union side and the political side of it. And I was on the executive board from 03 until I promoted to deputy chief in 2017. So uh, about 14 and a half years. Wow. And I served everywhere from secretary to vice president to president for, for a little while, about eight years as president. Yeah, I know you had a long haul in, in that. And, you know, that's one of the things that I think your skill set that you gained from being on the executive board, especially being a president and, and your political understanding has is, is really helped us um, in our um, quest for uh, putting this ambulance RFP together. And I'm sure we, we may come back at some point and have, a, have a, another podcast just based <laughs> on that. But uh, that certainly was um, a a piece of the puzzle that we were missing. And then when you became 
the fire chief at Rancho and that we're able to tap into your abilities politically. I think that's uh, definitely one of the things that changed um, the um, kind of where we were going with that whole project. So, but we'll talk about that later on another podcast. <laughs> um, so I know a lot about Ranch Gookamugga Fire District, but I know a lot of our listeners don't. You mind just kind of walking us through that a bit? And, you know, how big are you guys? What's your staffing like? Special teams, those types of things. So uh, currently we have uh, 92 members on the floor, uh, just over 100 total safety, and then uh, about another 30 non-safety. We just are finishing up our eighth station. The station itself, uh, there's some issues with construction, uh, some delays, but we're still putting the engine in service actually in two weeks. So we're pretty excited about that. We're going to run it out of station 174. So we'll run eight engines, uh, two trucks. Our engine companies are staff 3.0. Our trucks are staff 4.0. Um, pretty excited. We got a second battalion approved. So we're dividing the city north and south. That goes into service sometime after the new year. We're thinking maybe late January, early February. Um, <clears throat> with the ambulance contract, I, it, should that be approved? We're, we're excited. We're going to put an ambulance in service full time. You know, we'll staff that obviously um, constant staffing. And then should we not do that, we're probably looking at putting some squads in service. So if anything goes sideways with the ambulance contract, we're still going to put squads in service just to try to change for us to change our response platform. Um, so it's a growing time, just like for you guys, you know, it's a really exciting time for, for, I think departments of the Inland Empire. Um departments that are ran well, like yourselves, uh, you know, like Chino, uh, uh, other departments to the east as us, to us as well, like Redlands, you know, see, people seem to be able to grow at the right time. And now is that time. So we're taking the opportunity to do it. And, but, you know, really try to plan for the future to make sure everybody's set up 10 to 15, even 20 years from now. Um, no, yes, yeah, so that's our goal. Cool. I know. Um, and one of the reasons I was asking, I, I know how big your department is and um to you know i always say ontario and and and, and rancher are good i'd say medium-sized departments and we we probably punch above our weight uh respectively and in, in a couple of different areas and one of the areas that i'm i've always been intrigued about rancho and have always respected your agency with is is how you do your recruitment and what you're doing different today than um, you know, a lot of us were doing a lot. You guys were way ahead of the curve in a lot of this stuff. And so I guess the question I have for you is, um, I know you have your own fire academy. You've been doing your own fire academy for a long time. Um, how long have you been doing your own fire academy in Rancho? Um, you know what? Since I've been here, it has ebb and flowed. So when we got hired, my group, I got hired with uh, Augie Beretta, who's our deputy chief of ops, and then two other guys that have, are now retired, but we all were, um, we came from other departments. So um, for us, we didn't really have an academy. We, we, or when we got here, it was like, like a four or five week mini academy, um, but it was still an academy. It was just more like the way Rancho would, you know, uh, do their hose pulls, throw ladders and that type of thing. Then over the years, it's kind of morphed and it's really just dependent upon uh, budgeting and um, whether the the chief at the time really wanted to move people in to support it logistically. I would say uh, 
probably the last 10 years is when Rancho is really focused on, hey, we're going to do an academy. And if we're going to do in a mini academy, here's what we want it to look like. We we want it to be an actual academy. And that's um, the, the way in which we've just said, from this point forward, we'll always do it this way. Because the academy right after mine, uh, <clears throat> that was an academy where there were people that were hired without uh, any experience at all, or even a fire academy. So <clears throat> they went through a mini academy and then they reverted again after that. But about 10 years ago, I would say it's been constant. And we do it that way because we have a, a simple philosophy, which is hire the best people. And what we found the best thing for our culture is to try to cast a wide net, get a big pool of people. And as you get a big pool of people that represent and reflect your, your city, then we can train them to be firefighters. That's just our opinion. We believe that you hire a great person and you can teach them anything. It, some of it comes with time and grace. You're going to have to give them grace, right? Because it's brand new. Uh, maybe they were in accounting before, or maybe they were uh, in construction. Regardless of the previous background, we can teach them how to throw ladders, pull hose, and cut holes in roofs. That's just our, our philosophy. So your academy is not a state firefighter one academy. You're not an accredited academy with the state. Is that correct? That's correct. We're not. Um, we've partnered with Mount SAC uh, previously to uh, get them, you know, signed off with their firefighter one and get all their their uh, state certifications. What we're going to do in the future is we're looking at partnering with Ontario and Chino and figuring out how do we do it, maybe a, a you know collaboratively and and bringing somebody from the outside or or do we you know try to do it ourselves? But as it's changed at state fire training. We've just adapted to to try to meet what the state fire training needs are. Yeah, because I know we have had talks for years about doing something jointly, you know, on the West End through San Bernardino County. And we we went back and forth for, gosh, probably five years on, you know, do we go do a, uh, a state accredited academy? Do we do this? Do we do that? And I finally made the decision a couple of years ago that, we're just going to do our own thing very much like yourselves, not worry about a state firefighter one because we needed to broaden the pool just like you guys did and that we just graduated our first academy and um, it, it was a it was a great success. But largely, a lot of the ideas came from you guys came from other agencies that are doing their own fire academy. Um, what was that push? I know, I know, you guys are broadening the net and trying to get um, as as many people into uh, Rancho as you can. But what what were some of those advantages and disadvantages to having your own fire academy? Uh, maybe even not so much the state certified one, because as the fire chief, you have the authority to hire somebody under your authority as a fire chief, and they don't have to have a state firefighter one. You can basically come in and train them in house. A lot of um, agencies don't know that they think you have to be a state firefighter one to get hired or, you know, uh, one of those things. But what, what do you think are some of those advantages and disadvantages to having your own academy in-house the way you guys have it? So I would say I'll start with disadvantages. The disadvantages are, are those that come in with a bit of a learning curve. So you have a, we have a wide variety of people in our academy. So as an example, our academy, we have an academy right now with nine and then the previous academy 
the previous academy is a good example. So we had somebody that was on the job with uh, the city of Long Beach for six years or so. And then we had somebody who's never touched a fire hose in their life. So when you put those people together, um, there is a lot of patience that that the instructors need to have, as well as the academy recruits. So we put that on the on the recruits to go, hey, just so you know, your responsibility is to bring up this person to your level. Now, are they going to gain six years of experience from a city like Long Beach overnight? No, it doesn't matter. But you're here for the same reason they're here, which is you're both good people. We think you're going to be a good fit. So that is a disadvantage in that sense because of just the vast level of experience and knowledge. The advantage is this. They're amazing people. We have some stories. The, the people and their stories and their backgrounds are, are incredible. So for us, what we look for, we were we said for a while, I would say last five years, I was talking to a lot of people about, look, we look for people with grit, but the last couple of years, I've, I've been talking to our organization and as much chief officers, the, well, really what we're looking for are people with resilience because that's what this job is, right? This job is about getting punched in the mouth, falling down, um, it, having rough days, being away from your family on holidays, um, you know, being on strike teams now for three weeks at a time. Um, and yeah, having the grit to get through it, but having the resilience to do it over and over and over again. And that's what we think the advantages are because we can, we believe within our testing process, we're actually able to, to find those types of people through their stories. Um, over and over, you know, they do multiple interviews. They start with the captains, then they go to the BCs, and then they finish every person that gets hired in this organization, regardless of their position, finishes with both deputy chiefs and myself in their final interview. And um, we take about, we hire about 50% of the people um, that come to our level for that interview. And ultimately, we're just looking for that level of resilience. You know, can you, how many times you've been knocked down? How many times you've been told no? You know, how many times uh, have you said you're, have somebody told you you're not good enough and you did it anyway? Uh, that's what really what we look for. Those are the advantages. And those, that's why we feel like we get some pretty darn good people. Yeah. How long um, is your academy now, technically speaking? Um, I know, I think, I think I know that you guys have your academy. And then after that, you kind of, I think, do a little bit of on the job training um, to catch some of the other things you may need to do, but how long is the actual fire Academy now today? Yeah, they do 10 weeks and then they'll do two weeks of write outs. So um, the write outs, they just, you know, for us, like I said, we have three person engine companies that write out as the fourth and uh, it's more about shadowing, putting them, they have somebody there next to them. So, um, you know, they're not required. They're allowed to make mistakes. you know, we want them to. And um yeah, and then after the two weeks right out, they have their graduation and come out onto the floor. Got it. What is your, I don't know if you guys keep statistics on this, but I know from people that maybe have not been in an academy before, because I know you get people that have an academy that still come and they still have to do your own academy. But what is your success rate or your fail rate um, inversely on the people that have never had anything? What is do you guys keep stats on that or what is the success or the fail rate with the people that have never had anything? They're coming into your organization, essentially green as you can be, 
and and all of a sudden they're firefighters so i would uh, that's a great question um no we haven't kept stats so that's that's probably something we're going to need to start doing so thank you ray <laughs> that's a great idea um i would say though if i go back let's see i got promoted to deputy chief in 1997 we've had like you guys a ton of hiring uh, it's not 1997 sorry 2017 um since 2017 when i got promoted to deputy chief i would say in the past six almost seven years now we've hired at least uh six classes a couple of times we did two in a year um so in those six classes i would say that's probably maybe 40 40 people or so um in that group of 40 we've only had uh, three not be successful and all three had an academy that I can think back in that time. Wow. So um, what we found is it's not about the academy, having the academy or not about having the academy. That has nothing to do with it. Um, it has to do for us, the people that haven't been successful, they haven't been successful because we, we probably didn't do a great job in the, um, testing process so even with us so it's on the way i look at it, it's on us it's on me um we weren't able to identify we thought no they would have perseverance they would have resilience they would have grit and it turns out they they just did it um you know maybe there were things in their stories that we thought we were able to find that linked that to them but it just wasn't so in the academy when it got really really hard we want our folks to fail to actually set up that way. We want them to make mistakes. We want them to, um, you know, struggle, all of those things, because we know that's part of learning. So if you're, if, so our instructors go into the mindset with they, not only are they not going to be perfect, but they're not going to know how to throw a ladder. They're not going to know how to pull hose properly. Um, they're going to, you know, line up wrong. We actually want that. Because we want to see how they respond to that failure. And I would say the three people, uh, you know, uh, that weren't successful, they didn't fail well. So failing to them was like the end of the world. And uh, they weren't able to recover. And because they weren't able to recover, that was to us more alarming than the person that it took them, you know, 10 times to throw the 24 proficiently, right? Um we don't, we don't care because that person was the same person that was coming in on weekends and doing it over and over and over with people on the floor. And then by the time they took their test, they passed. What did I know in our department, I, when I have the opportunity to speak to all of our recruits, I basically tell them, look, you're going to not be successful here. If you do one of these three things, number one, you have to be technically proficient at the skills we're going to ask you to do. You also have to have a great attitude and you have to fit into our organization. Um, what do you think from your perspective? I know we just talked a little bit about it, but what do you think some of the, the challenges that the, the folks that aren't successful with your academy or coming through probation, what are those three things do you think um, is, is kind of the biggest contributor to them not being successful at your organization? I think it's um, they one they they don't understand that or they didn't accept that 
the amount of resource available to you to be successful here is something that we value. So we actually um, will do everything and anything we possibly can up to and including folks that are in the academy that haven't hit the floor yet can contact any captain at any time and say, can I come train with you on Sunday and with your crew? I'm struggling in this area. And that captain would say 100% spend six hours with them to ensure that they're successful and actually take pride and ownership in it. That's, that's one of the things I love about our captains. They, they take so much pride and ownership in people being successful. It's almost as if it's them themselves, which, which we love. So if you're not doing that, that's probably the first red flag for us. And our uh, training captains right now, uh, Captain Bills and Zabinden, Captain Zabinden are both assigned to training. I'll tell you, they would call us, let the BC in training know in a heartbeat, hey, guess what? This person's struggling and they're doing nothing to try to get better. They're not putting any extra time. They're not staying after. They're not coming in on weekends. They're not doing those things that people in the past that have struggled have done to be successful. Because what we're going to end up doing is going, we're going to give you the benefit of the doubt. We're going to say, okay, you're not, uh, you know, 100% proficient on this skill. But you know what? You are going to do everything you can and you're going to work as hard as you possibly can to become proficient. So we're going to give you another week, another couple of weeks and watch you get to the end and see how you are at that point. I think that's really what we what we value is we don't just say, hey, you failed this ladder test today in the academy and that's it. We go, OK, what have you done to try to become proficient at that? And maybe it's taken you. So instead of two weeks, it took you six weeks and that's OK. We're okay. As long as they're doing everything they can, and they're showing us that they care more than we care. Yeah, it's interesting. I've had a lot of discussions with captains um, over the years of people struggling on mostly on probation at our department. It's, it's because really our academy was, was pretty successful. We didn't have anybody fail out um, with the exception of one person um, from a skill standpoint, but the reality is, is a lot of the folks that get onto the floor, we have a different structure in the way we test and so on and so forth. And there is, there is failures there. And we've had, you know, our, our handful of people that have not been successful in that. And one interesting thing to me is when a captain will come in back, mostly when I was an operations chief was these captains are trying so hard with these candidates to get them through our process. I found it interesting a few times when they were telling me, you know, we're working with this person eight, nine, 10 hours a day, and we just can't get them there. And uh, that's one of the things I would tell them. I go, well, we're pretty far down the road with this person. And if you're still working with them eight, nine, 10 hours a day, and they're about to get off probation and they're just been struggling the entire year. At some point, you got to ask yourself, well, are we going to drag this person across the finish line? Because what happens on day 366 when you've drugged them across the finish line and now they're not getting eight, nine, 10 hours of training a day? Right. Um, you know, there's there's a balance there, right? Yeah. We have to look at as fire chiefs. Because to your point earlier, Mike, 
our our folks get 100% engaged with these people and they want them to succeed because part of it is that's a reflection on them a little bit, I think. Right. But do you find that as a fire chief that you have to find that balance a little bit too? Because some people just aren't going to cut it. And that's always a challenging thing when you're a deputy chief of ops or training and or you're a fire chief and, and you have to let people go. Um, what have you found in your department? Is that is that something you guys have found uh, to be true as well for you or no? You're 100% right. Absolutely. Our folks are saying they, they invest so much that it becomes a reflection on them, they feel. But no, it's really not a reflection on you because you are where you are for a reason. So like your captains, our captains do the same. It's it's not their fault. They've done everything they can. And, and to your point, when you've poured that much, well, maybe it's to a detriment at some point because what is happening with the rest of the crew? Um, you know, are, are you almost, are you neglecting yourself and your own growth to try to help this person? And like you said, comes a point in which you just go, yeah, it's probably not going to happen. And that's okay. Yep. Like, I think that that's the thing where you go, well, maybe they're just not a great fit for Ontario or for Rancho, but maybe they're a great fit for somebody else. It's just, and everybody is different. Um, I think that that's where, you know, it's not, there's nothing personal about it. It's just, it's just the nature of, of the business. And I think, like you said, ensuring that you maintain that standard is the most important thing you can do because the way, the way I'm sure you guys look at it the same is the minute you, 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 there's a degradation to your standard. Well, that ends up negatively impacting and affecting everybody else. So you want to ensure that the standard is always the standard because you, you don't want to suddenly allow it to slowly uh, degrade away. And then that's when you start to see major impacts to your culture. Yeah, I think you hit something really uh, great there with fit and culture and so on and so forth. And I've I've told candidates the unfortunate times I've had to sit down with them and, and let them know that today is their last day. And um, oftentimes if their, their skills just aren't there or they're maybe not a great fit for our organization, but they have a great attitude. And I've had fire chiefs that have called me two, three weeks after I've let someone go and asked me, hey, this person's in our background or, hey, we're thinking about hiring this person back. Um, and I've made those recommendations and had said, look, good person. Uh, struggled here, not a great fit for our organization, but knowing your organization probably would be an awesome fit uh, for you guys. And, you know, I, I've, I've made those recommendations. I'm sure you have as well. And we've had it the other way that someone has not been successful at another agency and they came to Ontario and they're a great fit for us, you know? So it's always interesting to me, the fit thing. And sometimes it's, it's so, it's a, it's a big cultural thing. And I know you guys have a very um, uh, powerful culture at, at Rancho. Um, you, you find that sometimes that it, it really comes down to a fit and your culture and those types of things? A hundred percent. And everybody should, right? There's a fire service culture, but then there's an organizational culture. And I think that that, if you even just go along our valley, um, I would say from Corona to Riverside City, right? to uh, Redlands, up to Colton, Rialto, Rancho, the county, you guys, Chino, everybody's culture is different. Yep. And like you said, 
somebody that's great somewhere may not be so great somewhere else and vice versa. And, and it's nothing personal and it is what it is and it's, and it should be okay. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so one thing I know that is uh, a struggle for everybody, just because of the sheer lack of numbers of female firefighters that want to come into the fire service. And it seems as though we're always struggling to get more females in the fire service. And we could probably talk on a, on a podcast just specifically about some of the reasons I think that might be out there. But I know that your organization has done a, an outstanding job with the recruitment of females. And um, what, what is Rancho doing today that is different that I think some of us, um, you know, that are, are struggling uh, trying to get females in the fire service. I know for your size of an organization, you have quite a few females uh, that are very successful firefighters at Rancho. What are you guys doing to uh, find your success in that area? So I don't know if there's like a magic pill, you know, if I were to say per se, um, I'd say it started before me. It started when uh, Cheryl Roberts got hired here as a firefighter. I think Cheryl set, uh, set a great example, um, different time. You know, I would say the females nowadays versus when Cheryl got in, uh, the, our female firefighters uh, nowadays don't look at it so much as um, like it's a big feat. You know, Cheryl had a lot she had to overcome. Yeah. Um and I'm not saying our female firefighters don't have a lot to overcome. It's just completely different for us. One of the things in getting the feedback. So when we take pride in this 10% of our floor personnel are female. So we have quite a few. I actually can't even tell you the number. I'm pretty happy about that. And I think it starts with not having to be the first. So in talking to our female firefighters, it is very difficult to go into an organization and be that first female firefighter um because things you don't know they're unknown and um and when they're unknown it's it's scary to anybody right if if you're the first whatever it's always scary so there's that part that you do have to overcome but now we find that our female firefighters recruit each other so even in our last recruitment as we were going through the interview process, it's like, oh yeah, well, I talked to her and I talked to her and I talked to her. And one of the things that we learned that is very common amongst um, women in the fire service is one of our, I don't think she would she would care if I shared this, but uh, Courtney Kanakanui, who's one of our firefighters, she's phenomenal. Um, when we interviewed her, she was testing in a couple other places that I won't name, but they're nowhere around here. And we asked her, well, that place is a really, seems to be a really good place. Why wouldn't you go there? And she said, well, I'm not going there because I talked to an, a female there and she said, don't come here. Um, culturally, they're not ready for having women. And I went, okay, so why here then? Why Rancho? And she said, because I talked to the females here. And one of the things that is common and known is Rancho is safe. And I, I, I the word safe, like, what do you mean safe? Explain safe to me, Courtney. And she says, well, sir, let me just say in Rancho, A, you know that nobody feels like they got to do anything different for you as a female. You're just treated like anybody else. And I went, okay. She said, there is no different standard. The standard is the standard. And I went, awesome. 
She said, I don't come to work and feel like, you know, oh, somebody's looking at me. I got to, you know, watch what I wear, how I am or, or any of that. I could just come to work, be respected as a firefighter, do my job and go home. And that's all I want. And we know that that's how Rancho is. And I went, okay, that, that makes sense. We get it. So what we've learned is the environment is everything. And, um, and it's not that they want to come to a department or don't want to come to it. It's the fact that we don't any longer have to try to break that, you know, ceiling because now it's simply, oh yeah, come here. You're fine. And you know, you have nothing to worry about and you'll be treated like anybody else. And, um, I think that that's the struggle for departments that are really being intentional in their recruitment, but haven't been able to crack through it yet is there's still personal apprehension from it as not wanting to be that first person, not wanting to, you know, storm the gate because you don't know if it's safe, I guess, so to speak. And it's not that it's not, you just don't know if it is. So uh, for us, that's one of the things we value now. I don't think we would never have an issue with it. Um, and I think here it starts with our captains in the interview process because we're very intentional about casting that wide net and our captains do a great job of, of going, oh yeah, I get she's, um, never thrown a ladder before. She has no academy, this, that, or the other. There no longer is this, oh, well, they have to reach this benchmark. No, it's like, well, she's no different than this guy over here. And they send them to the BCs and then the BCs go, what an amazing story. And they take the word she out of it. And it's just, what an amazing story. This person is a great fit to our culture. We want to send them to the deputies and the fire chief. And, and when they get to us again, we're just looking for that resilience. Do, do they have it? What's the story that supports when they get knocked down, when they fail, when they struggle, when they don't think they can go any farther, they stand back up and they keep going. And um, regardless of gender, it doesn't even matter. We know that at that point, all those people, they have that trait. What are, with Rancho today, are you physically going out and recruiting um, for females or are you just relying on your current females to do that for you? Um, how are you structured today from a recruitment specific to females today? Uh, great question. I, I think it started probably, um, so we did a recruitment video about six years ago. And in that video, um, you know, our department's very diverse. It's, I would say it very much makes up the demographics of our city. So we take that, we brought down Firestar, you know, from CPF and they filmed it. And I think that recruitment video went a really long way for us because as it, I mean, it got like 50,000 hits or something crazy. And um, when you looked at it visually, you went, wow, uh, what a, that was the comment we kept getting back. So we were noticing in our, um, in our recruitment through the process of the applicant pool, we were getting a very large, diverse group of people. And that's, so we ended up with like 1400 applicants a few years ago. And in the 1400, by the time they got to the, the deputy chief, um, interview we had our pick and it didn't matter um on the uh the 
you know, gender, class, uh, what have you. It was so diverse. We could just, we, again, it was, this is awesome. Let's pick the, you know, at that time we were picking 12, let's pick the 12 best people. And we did. And those, those people were amazing and they were absolutely a reflection of our community. What are your numbers? Have you seen, um, kind of a steady amount of, I know it's been challenging for the last 10 years for a lot of us in recruitment, but have you seen a steady increase, decrease, or has it kind of been the same recruitment numbers, like that raw number of people that are going to apply to Ranch Cucamonga? Um, how has that differed over the last 10 years uh, for your agency? Uh, it's been fairly consistent. I mean, this past recruitment, for whatever reason, uh, you know, normally we average over a thousand. Um, this past recruitment though was under a thousand. We're not really sure why. We think it had to do with um, our marketing wasn't, uh, Nicole, our PIO, she, she was saying, look, our numbers and our reach for some reason just wasn't there. But even with the people that we interviewed, we still had a, a, a pretty successful group that we hired. Um, we don't look at um, diversity. We look at diversity of thought. So when we're talking about diversity, we're looking at people from all walks of life, uh, you know, that that maybe their their dad was uh, in the fire service and they grew up in the fire service and that's all they knew. We want that person. But we also want the person who had no idea what the fire service was that wanted to be, you know, maybe they wanted to be an accountant or or the person that was laying tile at 16, you know, and, and they started a trade. Um, we want all those people, regardless of what they look like. Now, what we found was when you do it that way, well, they tend to represent your community and, and what your community looks like when you remove those, those things from your mind of, I want somebody that looks like this. Um, no, it's more about, I want somebody with the characteristics of this. And, and that's what we look at when we're out there recruiting. And our current recruit class of the nine, we have a firefighter that was, um, he was a firefighter in Tennessee, but he's from the area and he's coming back, but he's been in Tennessee for years. Uh, we have a guy, uh, you know, played um, college football, a, a lot of athletes. We, we tend to go after a lot of athletes. So I would say intentionally, I'll share with you maybe a little bit of our secret sauce. When I got promoted, so I'm big in sports. I don't have a voice because I was at the Corona Centennial St. John Bosco football game on Friday night. Who, won that, who won that game? Oh my gosh. Centennial got robbed. I'll just say private what? schools. Come on. I told yeah. you, I told you that <laughs> you're going to be going, I'm a good Catholic. So no, it's always good to see our Catholic boys do so. Oh well. yeah, they, they did. It was last play of the game where they won. Uh, it was it was pretty brutal. My son's best friend is the starting safety at Corona Centennial, so it was cool to watch. But um, for us, we go after athletes, and it doesn't matter the sport. We have former Olympians that were Olympic water polo players. One of our guys played for Trinidad and Tobago in the in the Olympics. Another guy, um, you know, swam for uh, New Zealand um, in the Olympics. Uh, baseball, football doesn't matter because I'll tell you, so a lot of our female female firefighters were former athletes. So we went out to the colleges and recruited from the softball team, from the women's soccer team, from the volleyball team. And we did that purposely because it, we know that 
to be an, a collegiate athlete, it takes a lot of hard work. My daughter plays softball, University of San Diego. She's a bio major. She's up every day at five o'clock in the morning and she doesn't go to bed until 11 at night and it's six days a week. And, um, you know, when you see that, you say, wow, I think this is a pool that would fit great into the fire service. Exactly what we're looking for. So I, I'll rewind. How are we intentional? I think specifically um, that's how we're intentional is by going into the JCs and not the JCs in this area. We went, we went to East LA College. Uh, we went to Verdugo. Just so you know, I, I reached out to Sam Giovanna and I said, who do you have there? Because Verdugo is going to get a different type and class of people and I, and we want them. And, um, you know, just as much as we want San Bernardino Valley, you know, and Mount Sac is great and Crafton is great, but you just kind of have to go even beyond that to get your pool and your net, cast your net a little wider. Yeah. It's interesting. Obviously we compete for candidates, um, you know, equally across the Valley, equally across Southern California and even up and down the state. Um, and it used to just be in our in our time, you know, when we were when we were coming through, it seemed to be who's the highest paid department. That's where I want to go. And it seems like that mindset has changed um, probably the last decade. And for some reason, you know, people are choosing to go to specific departments, number one, because they kind of have a choice today. You know, back in our day, you just went with wherever you can go and whoever was stupid enough to hire us. And uh, <laughs> that was kind of the deal. But now, shoot, man, there's so many people that are, or have so many fire departments or so many opportunities today than there was back then. And it is more about culture uh, rather than who's going to pay me the biggest paycheck and so on and so forth. Is that kind of what you're finding um, from your perspective as well? Or do you have a different take on that? I agree with you hundred percent. You're right. It's not about because pay wise, I think when we got hired, there was a, a massive difference in pay. I remember I still keep my first MOU. It's behind me from County Fire. It was like 1992 to 1998 MOU. And I, I look at that thing every now and then and remind myself, you know, what I used to get paid when I first got into this. And I think that people have learned over the years that the fire service could be a, you know, a very stable profession. It used to be stable on the benefit side and the pay was, was pretty good, but now um, people know that and where that has morphed, like you said, over the last 10 years is people want to feel valued. And that's what we've noticed. You know, I, I think now that um, every generation is different. I remember when I first got in, I had a captain give me a paper and say, hey, can you read this paper for me? And the paper was about how do I uh, lead Gen X firefighters? <laughs> you know, I'm brand new in the fire. I'm reading this going, man, he's talking about me. Um, right. So and it seemed like it was a lot of problems as you know, I went, wow, the Gen X generation, our generation is pretty jacked up. So, you know, every generation people say, oh, there's this issue and that issue. I just kind of look at it as every generation has their pros and cons regardless. And it's just based upon, you know, what you were exposed to growing up within the generation. And I think now um, we're finding people just want to be valued. 
And I think that that is um, so powerful because it, it does mean a lot. So what does value mean? Well, I think to your point, value isn't about a number or a price. You can't put a price tag on value. It's, you know, it's a feeling. And because it's a feeling, you can't quantify it. So the culture is why it matters so much because it's your culture that makes a person feel valued, right? It's when they go into the firehouse and they sit at the table, how are they treated? Um, you know, how are they talked to? And that is what people are looking for is, you know, hey, granted, there's a decorum in the fire service. Because you've been here a year doesn't mean you're equal to the person that's been here 20 with respect to knowledge, wisdom, skills, and abilities. But you're both just people trying to do a job and trying to make a difference in people's lives. And I think if you treat others that way, then, um, you know, they'll have that feeling of being valued and, and they do want to be there. Yeah, no, I agree with all of that, Mike. It's a great point. Um, you had mentioned earlier that your your numbers seem to be down a little bit this year. That's not just talking to fire chiefs up and down the state. The fire service in general, I think our numbers are are down. And if you it, and we're kind of spoiled, right? I mean, we got to put this into perspective because if most um, agencies said, "Hey, I only had 800 people compared to a thousand or 1400," they're looking at you kind of like, "Are you out of your mind?" Um, but we do have to go through those numbers to find the right fit for organizations that the, the people are going to fit within our culture, but the numbers are down up and down the state of California. Why do you think that is uh, for your perspective? And do we have a problem with the numbers of firefighters we're getting today compared to what we've been used to? Is that a challenge for you or, or is this, is this something that we're making too much of? Uh, from your perspective? I don't think we're making too much of it. I think um, people are people have access to information nowadays, far more readily available than we ever did. The things that we took for granted um, in this job that we thought was just some of the trade-off of the job. For example, um, I know, I, I feel like I know you pretty well, and I value our friendship a ton. And I think there's a lot of things that we that we think alike about. A couple of them being is when we got into the fire service, fire service, we weren't thinking about going into a structure fire and the toxins within that fire potentially one day killing us because of cancer, right? We weren't thinking about all the, the calls that we've been on and the things that we've been subjected to, how that would affect our mental health when we got older. We weren't thinking about those things. We just said, hey, this is our job and this is what we're going to do. I think people now are a lot more uh, conscientious about that. They look at the fire service and go, really, do I really want to expose myself to those conditions? Um, you know, do, do I want to be diagnosed with cancer in my thirties and then die from it? Um, I think Brian Rice has said it best up at CPF when he says that cancer in the fire service is an epidemic and, and it is. And, um, you know, I know, you know, that it touched our department recently with Miguel passing away, but every department is touched by it. It doesn't matter who it is. And if you're a person that's thinking about a career and you're in your twenties, early twenties, you have access to information and you're going, you're probably looking at it going, wow, 
do I really want to do that? Yeah, I can make a difference in people's lives, but is it worth me contracting a disease that I could die from? Um, I think people are thinking about that stuff. Right. And um, it is probably a contributing factor to our numbers. And just It's just my opinion, but I do think it, it does play a part. What do you think we can do different, not only from our organizations, but from the fire service in general, to start getting more people that are in to get interested in the fire service. Cause I think if we continue with this downward slide, I think that the fire service might be in trouble even five, 10 years down the road. Uh, what do you think we could be doing different today to um, make people or inspire people to be more interested in the fire service? I think let them know that as leaders, uh, we're doing everything we can to mitigate as much risk as possible. I think that if you're, so as I was using the the, the, the cancer risk as an example, or, um, you know, mental health as an example, I would say, if I know you're doing it in Ontario, I know we're doing it in Rancho, um, as much as we can say, yes, we get that the profession is dangerous. It's inherently dangerous. And that it's inherently dangerous on the calls, but it's also dangerous um, in the long term, potentially for your life. But we are doing everything we can to mitigate that risk. So that is that assumption of a ri the risk that a person may be willing to take because they go, hey, um, everything comes with risk, right? I mean, if you're an Uber driver driving down, the that's what you do for your job. Well, driving is probably one of the most dangerous things you can do. So there's a lot of things that that have risk. But if you can do everything you can to mitigate it, which, um, you know, as leadership, that is our responsibility by trying to do clean cabs, right? Like trying to do everything we can, you know, not wearing your turnouts around the firehouse, taking them off, washing them as much as possible, getting the washing machines in place. So they're getting rid of those carcinogens, um, all of those things and, and much, much more. Um, hopefully the mindset will begin to change going, yeah, firefighting is dangerous, but look at these things that are in place to help lower that level of risk, you know, and danger to the profession. I think that's what, you know, we are, can continue to do so well. I remember when I first got in the fire service, probably just like you, I mean, I had captains that didn't wear BAs. They just didn't. Um, and now that wouldn't even be thought of, but I would say that's not everywhere. Cause there's still departments where that's still a thing. Like I, I, we, we've listened to some lectures recently where we're listening to guys and they're talking about their stories and going, yeah, you know, they weren't wearing their gloves. Um, like you're not wearing your gloves on a structure fire. You know, you put your mask on what, you know, nowadays that's like, what are you doing? We, we wouldn't even consider that being okay. Um, to continue to get better at that, I think um, we'll hopefully encourage a future generation to go, yeah, that's a dangerous job, but there's so much to mitigating that, that I feel comfortable in going and doing. Yeah, it's interesting to me when we look at, you know, back in our day, man, I, I remember my dad worked for UPS and all I remember was, man, I, I, I just going to be a UPS driver. I mean, it seemed like a good deal for my dad as a good union job. And uh, then my dad told me, uh, hey, uh, you can't get a job with UPS. You have the same name as I do, and they will not hire you. So I thought, man, what the heck am I going to do? I didn't I didn't think I have a lot of options back then. And um, 
the options today for people to uh, work and make really good money is so different than it was even 10 years ago. And I think that's part of our competition too. When you look at what people can do for a living, I know, I know people, uh, when my son told me this story that you can actually play video games <laughs> and people would pay you to watch you play a video game. If that was around 30 years ago, Mike, I might not be a firefighter. Today. <laughs> I mean, my, my Pac-Man skills back in the day were pretty solid. I don't know if anyone would have paid me to do it, but I'm just telling you, man, if, if uh, that was some options back then, I don't know if I would have been a firefighter, but <laughs> I think that's the thing that we got to compete against is there's just so many options for, for people to find, you know, really good work and the flexibility in uh, working from home and the, all of those. I think all of those things are areas we have to look at in the fire service because those are competing factors that we're going to have to deal with in the fire service, not only today, but even more so in the future. A hundred percent agree. I think I see that in our own city, you know, that for them to do a recruitment, they have to be able to offer people flexible work schedules where they're working from home half the week. And, you know, they're it, it, it things that we could not ever compete with. Yeah. So to your point, like, yeah, if you can hang out at home and get paid to, um, to be some type of it tech, right. If you're in, if you're an it, you literally don't need to really go to the office or go anywhere any ever because it's all virtual. It's all at home. So you got people that go, so I can make six figures, sit on my couch and work when I want to work. And that may be 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. It's unfortunately in our profession, but we just won't, won't be able to compete with those people. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot of uh, factors out there and, and things that, the fire service is just going to be hamstring to be able to do. They're 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 not going to be able to do those. At the end of the day, you know, maybe some office work, things like that. But for the most part, you have to be here. It's a physical job, and our you know, there's no there's no changing that. So, um, I think we're going to have to change our mindset a little bit on a few things. But I think exactly what you said is that whatever we can do to mitigate. Uh, these things from you know hurting our people long term, making this a uh, a job that is as safe as we can make it. In my opinion, I still think it's one of the best jobs out there. Um, and uh, my son does does it, and we have a I have a lot of other friends that their kids do it, and um, it's just still a great job. And that's the bottom line. And uh, I wouldn't have changed anything. I would have. Uh, continue being a firefighter. We're both both fortunate for doing that and going through and into what we are what we know today. And it's just changed a little bit. And but I think we're I think the fire service is still just a great place to work. Um, do you have anything else? I know we're we're kind of wrapping up here and we've been going for a little bit. But um, what uh do you have any other final thoughts, Mike, on recruitment or? Um, kind of what you see in, in the future of recruitment for the fire service? Um, just being proactive. I think you need to be intentional and proactive with it. We never had to do that, right? We stood in lines for, you know, a day and um, that's not going to be the case. That's never going to happen again, I don't think. No. So it's important for fire departments to figure out what is your, 
what is your makeup? What is your culture? And what message do you want to send? And then get that out to the people you want to get that out to for recruitment. Because there's a lot of things. I mean, um, your department, just as an example, first of all, I can't even tell you like how much um, the relationship has improved while you've been the fire chief um, in Ontario. And I'm not talking just with Rancho because I feel like with Rancho, we've always had a great relationship, but it's even better now. But just statewide, I think your department is so, so unique in the sense that you can make a massive splash statewide and really change the fire service as a whole, just because of your, where you sit, your, your international airport, um, the amount of growth that you have, um, you just guys, you guys have so much opportunity. And I've watched that, uh, increase over the, your influence increase statewide. Um, you know, especially with your leadership race. So I can't thank you enough. Great job because of the, some of the state laws that we're capitalizing on today is because of you, but I say that and I go, well, geez, Ontario, that department, what an amazing um, opportunity you guys have to, to recruit because geez, your department sells itself and it, it, it truly does. And I think for you, it's you guys defining what makes you great and then making everybody else be aware of that. Cause um, we know it in the fire service, we know it, but maybe the you know, the 19, 20, 21 year old probably doesn't. And I think that that's important. And I think for us in Rancho, um, we will always just, you know, use our culture as our stool. And um, that's just what we, what we're going to continue to do. And we try to develop that and start that at the hiring process and do that as we promote, you know, promoting the right people to ensure that that culture is the bedrock and always maintains the bedrock and we don't deviate from it. So getting the message out there the best we all can in our own way. That's the my final thought. And like you said, um, what an amazing profession, incredibly grateful. And, you know, as I look back, it, I can't believe that I was a firefighter, let alone a fire chief. <laughs> you know, just to be honest with you, you know, in a million years, never would have thought a kid that grew up homeless in East LA, Pico Rivera, Montebello, you know, were, would be where I am today. So um, I take every day with a piece of gratitude and, and, you know, I'm grateful for my friendships, like the one I formed with you. So I just want to tell you that. Well, it's, that means a lot to me, Mike, obviously we've, uh, we've, we've grown in, in friendship over the last couple of years for sure. And I thank you for all those kind words. I certainly, uh, don't don't deserve some of them i know we have a great team um at cal chiefs and they've just done such such great work uh specifically over the last you know five six seven years and i uh, just i was proud to be a uh, part of that a little bit and um you know really look at your department as a great department to um with your culture is is very special and um it's it's different than ours here at Ontario, but that's that's not unique anywhere, right? Everyone has our own cultures, and and uh, we have ours, and we are very fortunate in in Ontario to have some of the things that we do, and uh, we we have to do a better job of 
of actually getting out there and and selling that you know because i think sometimes in our our maybe our challenge in the past has been hey every, you know everyone knows kind of what we're doing and and so on and so forth but that's not the case you know um we only started getting social media a couple <laughs> years ago you know and we just can't do those things anymore and you know we look to organizations like yourselves that i think are doing it right you know and um there's a stiff competition out there for for good people and i think if we can take some of the lessons that we learned today and especially from your department because i think you guys are doing that right and I know you inherited uh, some of that stuff, but you're also growing it and making it better as as the fire chief over there. And appreciate your time today, Mike, and appreciate your leadership. And uh, it was a great talking to you. And um, I think we got another phone call about 10 o'clock. So yeah, <laughs> yep. but thank you again, Mike. I appreciate your time and uh, have a great day. All right, man. You too.